So yes, as was just mentioned, I'm Andy. Um, this is my wonderful wife, Kelly. Uh, hopefully it's not too hard to not get us confused. It is wonderful to be here. Uh, it's really great to be able to share this with you. Just a couple of small things, a um, bit of admin stuff. For anyone who is visiting here, please don't take today's message and sort of service as a stock standard. Obviously, we're just sort of uh, up here as a bit of a one-off, and we're not doing a traditional type teaching, expository preaching service. So if, if you are thinking about joining our church, or if you've been here and you're considering, you know, what's this church about? This is just a bit of an outside of the ordinary type uh, message. Um, obviously, keen as for you to give us feedback and chat with us at the end. Um, and, and also, we are obviously going to be talking about money today. Uh, it is Missions Month. Mason's asked us to share what it, is like, what it was like for us when we were living completely on a faith-based income. Uh, if there are people here who haven't quite reconciled who Jesus is to them, if, if you're a person that is still maybe exploring or trying to work out who this person of Jesus is and, and maybe you haven't surrendered your life to him, <clears throat> when I'm talking about money, I'm not actually talking to you. Uh, I'm going to be talking about giving, going to talk about what the Bible teaches about money. Those words are for people here who, who would say that they identify with Jesus. For those of us that would say, I've surrendered my life to Christ and he is my Lord and Saviour. Uh, you're the people that we're going to be talking to um, yeah, throughout this service. So, last week Mason was actually sharing on uh, Luke 18. Uh, for those who are here, he shared a little bit about the um, uh, rich young priest, or rich young ruler, I think it was, uh, who the one thing that was holding this rich young ruler back was his unwillingness to forsake his trust in earthly uh, material things. Uh, and so Jesus gave him the instruction to sell everything he had and give it to the poor. And he walked away unhappy. The very verses after that, uh, I'm just going to look it up in my Bible here, hang on a sec. In Luke 18, Jesus specifically talks about uh, the experience for people. Well, I've got a few bookmarks here. This could end up in a fiery train wreck. I should also say that Kel and I have never tag team preached before. So it could go possibly a really, really positive, great experience, or it could end up in a fiery train crash. We'll, uh, we'll find out in about half an hour how well it's gone. Um, so the passage which Mason, I believe, will be speaking on next week uh, from Luke 18, verses 29 and 30, uh, is where Jesus responds to Peter, who says, we've left everything to follow you. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive as many times as, many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. So Mason will be unpacking that uh, for us next week. Interestingly, in our journey into uh, vocational ministry, God used a very similar passage to that in Mark. Uh, I clearly remember, um, clearly remember in 2007, uh, I was working my way through personal devotion time, and upon reading this particular passage of Mark, it, it actually jumped out and hit me in the face. Like it was, I actually had a visceral experience to it. It wasn't just reading words. It actually like jumped at me. And, and Kel and I were in a process at that time of praying about, do we change our roles from being um, traditional based income to going into full-time ministry? And I'll just read for you this uh, passage in Mark. It's Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 29. I'm going to have to put my glasses on this time. Um, 
primarily just so it look intelligent more than anything else. Um, it's, the, it's the Mark's record of that same verse that is in Luke 18. So Peter again says, we've left everything to follow you. And Mark's record says, I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present generation. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields. And with them, persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But there are many who are, um, who are first will be last and last will be first. Now... I'm going to have to take these off because when I'm looking at you, you're all fuzzy if I've got them on. Um, I don't know if you notice the difference between how Luke's record was and what Mark's record was. Uh, Mark emphasises the leaving of fields and the coming of persecutions. And it wasn't until a little while later that I actually had an experience of realising that that particular promise was uh, recorded in Luke. And I always wondered, uh, God, it would have much further preferred in calling us to ministry that... You use the call that didn't have the promise of persecutions rather than the one that did. Uh, it probably would have made the last sort of 15 years of our lives a lot better, <laughs> I can imagine, if, if he hadn't had persecutions promised along with that as well. Um, but that was a key part for Cal and I in journeying into vocational ministry, is assurance that God had invited us to join him with the work that he was doing. So Navigators is a mission organisation. Our particular role was with university students. We did three years of internship training in Canada and then came back and we served at Monash University uh, with students. Um, as you can imagine, when, when you're moving from a traditional income base to a faith-based income base, there's a bunch of work to be done. Can I just do a quick show of hands? This isn't a rhetorical question. I actually am interested in a show of hands. How many people would feel really comfortable with the idea of calling people on the phone, some who are very, very, very distant, tangible contacts, or maybe even complete strangers, and specifically asking on the phone to arrange a meeting, to contact, to come and see them face-to-face, -face so you can invite them to consider financially supporting you. So basically cold contact calling someone and going, hi, this is who I am, you've not met me, I'd like to meet you face-to-face -face so I can invite you to support me financially in the ministry I'm doing. Who, who would love the idea of that? Who's, uh, who's keen? Who's, who's... Yep. Uh, I can tell you, over my life, um, my initial career was working as an occupational therapist in community mental health services and inpatient services. I've worked in child protection services with uh, some high-risk residential units and some children with some incredibly challenging behaviour. And as many people know, I'm currently working as a psychologist. I have never been more stressed in my entire life than having to pick up the phone and call someone and say, hi, you don't know me, but I'd like to meet and talk to you about financially connecting with me, if that's okay. There was also a real um, spiritual dimension. I'll just make, make sure I'm not jumping in on what Kel's talking about. No, there was a real spiritual dimension to this as well. So we were currently working full-time at that time and obviously trying to build up financial support to be freed up to go into ministry. And as I shared, very, very anxiety-inducing. And so I would commit a night. I'd come home from work and I'd be like, tonight I'm going to make three phone calls and I'm going to make three appointments to go and be able to follow up and invite people to join us. This situation happened at least three times where that particular night our phone line went dead. 
And I'm not even, like, I'm literally not even exaggerating joking that. Like, I was like, Tuesday night, I'm going to call these three people, work myself up, had a friend in that, was praying about it, I guess the pray partner type concept, praying about it. Yep, Tuesday night, get home from work, have dinner. All right. Phone line's dead. Literally spent 40 minutes trying to work out what was going with the phone. It just was dead. And this is the days before you had unlimited calls on your mobile. To call a mobile was, you know, paying $5 a minute or whatever, so that wasn't within our scope. And I just went, wow, this, this isn't just a small thing that we're doing here. There is a significant spiritual dimension going on here because it was only on those nights when we had committed to call people, to invite them to actually partner with us, that the phone didn't work. rest of the time, worked fine. Um, other things that were challenges, and I'll hand over to Kellen in just a second, were in some of these conversations, you know, there'd be a lot of people that would go, oh, okay, so you're going to Canada for a few years, why don't you just sell your house? Um, you know, we, we were in a privileged situation in rural Victoria, um, we'd be able to buy a house. Our first house we bought was only $180,000, unheard of these days, but we were very fortunate to be in that situation, and people were like, oh, we'll sell your house, there's 180 grand. That's, you know, two years wage and then some. We're like, cool. What, what happens when we continue on in three years' time and in four years' time? And also on being homeless, that's also not ideal, but how does that work? And I guess a key part of what was involved in the conversations was helping people consider the bigger picture, that this isn't just a, you know, a one-off experience, that this is a, a lifestyle or a commitment that's going on term, and that's why we need to be able to consider partnering, partnering with people financially. I'm going to hand over to Kel and um, get her to share some of the different stories and experiences that we had uh, through mm. this time. So um, despite these conversations being quite challenging, especially um, to initiate them, um, we were always encouraged, God always encouraged us, um, and we serve such a creative God. And so um, he, he just gave us so many stories, so I, th I thought I'd share a couple of those um, with you. So one being we have just commenced fundraising and we're talking um, uh, to a small church in regional Victoria um, about the mission that God's called us to and um, asking people to um, partner with prayer, um, potentially finances. And the service finished and uh, a man came up to us and said, hey, thanks for sharing. We'd never met him before. Um, and he said, oh, I'm, I'm not in a position to... Um, to financially support you ongoing, um, but I have a Jaguar in my garage, and I, I just take it out on a Sunday afternoon for a, for a bit of a drive around, and um, hey, have my Jag. <laughs> and so um, his intent for that was that we would sell it, and then the, the funds would go towards mission. Um, and other people had given equal amounts of funds, but I think just just that God's so creative in the way that um, he supported us. And, and this uh, man was encouraged by that story as well, and we could share that story with other people who were equally encouraged. Um, and when we were overseas, another car story, um, we had put aside uh, 1500 to purchase a car, and we, uh, Andy's um, dad was back here in Australia, and he was faithfully... Um, praying through different situations and for this one he was asking God for a really good exchange rate um, when we were to transfer that money so we could purchase a car and that that's what he was praying about this exchange rate help it you know maximize that 1500 that they have 
Uh, he finishes praying, he opens up his emails, and there's an email from a family in Hong Kong who we'd never met before um, saying, hey, we want to give um, seven and a half grand to the family who've gone to Canada specifically to purchase a car. And um, of course, we were immensely encouraged. Uh, Andy's dad was kind of humbled about um, the way he was praying. He was like, why am I limiting God by saying, I just want a good exchange rate? And God gave so much more. And then, um, of course, there was opportunity for us to connect with this family in Hong Kong, of all places. It's just great how God works around the world. Um, just to even share that story and then to have, have this vehicle that um, we could use for the next um, three years while we were overseas. Um, so we started to learn that uh, living on a faith-based income was um, rewarding and equally a blessing for, for many other people around us and as the stories would sort of knit together. Um, and we realised that there was mutual blessings that came um, from living by faith in, a, in this financial way. Um, so another story, when we um, came back from Canada after Levi was born, we found ourselves at the children's hospital for um, three months because he was very unwell. Um, and we were living at Ronald Mac House. I'm not sure if people have had opportunity to, to live or work in those contexts, but it's rather intense. And we had um, just a lot of opportunities to share our, our life with other families who were in um, incredibly stressful situations. It's kind of a um, shared living kind of deal, shared um, you know, meal space and that kind of thing. So we got to know some of these families quite well as we um, lived there for a while. Um, and we, we had a, a, a visitor turn up, a young guy, he was about 20, um, and he had a couple of bags. He was looking for us and um, you know, we went to, to meet him. This is at the Ronald Mac house. And he said, I've, we're just, I've got some meals for you. They've all been um, you know, freshly cooked. You can pop them in the freezer, whatever. They're all in just some nice containers for you. Um, go for it. And we were like, that's, that's amazing. You know, thank you very much. Had this short interaction with him and he left. And these people in, in Ronald Mac that we'd got to know were sort of looking at us and said, oh, that was nice. Who, who, who was that guy? And we said, don't know. <laughs> Never met him before. That's the first time we've met him. And I said, well, I don't, I'm, I don't understand why, why, why are people just turning up, um, providing for you. And so we were just able to share that this, this is how the local church can work. This is, this is. This is how people can bless each other. Yes, we'd never met this guy before, but he had knew, heard about our circumstances through other means. And a team of, um, I think that was students, had, uni students had got together and said, hey, let's just cook some meals. Um, they did that, gifted them to us. We were able to use that as a way to sort of uh, actually even share the gospel with this um, couple in particular. Um, and, sh and share the resources and, sh and share the meals. They didn't have support like that. Most, if any, um, no one really did. So um, we were able to provide practical help through somebody else um, and also share what the church um, can do. Um, yeah, so we just found there were so many ways um, that we could share the gospel with people through the way God was providing for us. Um, 
One last story, um, as you will, will have all experienced, is um, missionaries will need to write newsletters, um, kind of update on what they're up to. Um, we found those really hard, really hard to do. And I, I expect everyone's experience is different, of course. Um, but I think the, the block, at least for me, was who, who are we to write stories about um, what God's doing in, in our neighbourhood, um, the Bible studies we're involved in, um, the stories of individuals, you know, seeking God. When I knew, I had friends in my life that were doing the same thing, going to their conventional workplaces and sharing the gospel, um, reaching out to their neighbours, going to Bible studies, serving in their church. Um, and it was, just, it was just a challenging thing to do to sort of broadcast that because they're not writing letters and telling everyone, hey, look at, look at all these things that are happening. Um, I do realise it's, it's bigger than that and that, you know, that communication is really important. That's how people can partner in prayer. But um, one conversation um, years later, in fact, after 10 years, I think, of, of being in ministry, um, she said to me, you know, I started financially um, supporting you guys through NAVS because I already had a, a friendship and a relationship with you guys. Um, and so I wanted to encourage you. She, she was a believer. Um, and so she just made that decision, quite easy decision for her to do. Um, and then she said, but um, over time, God just sort of softened her heart towards mission. Every time she's reading these newsletters, she's hearing stories, um, she's hearing um, you know, individual stories, stories through groups of Bible studies, all kinds of things. Um, and she said, I just felt like God saying, well, why, why can't you be doing the same thing? Why can't, you know, she, I guess she was thinking about what is her responsibility in terms of discipleship to uh, her workplace, um, her neighbourhood and, and beyond. And so um, I just found it really encouraging that God was using those communications in an unexpected kind of way. Um, when we found them really challenging to write. Um, and it also, um, yeah, it also kind of, I felt like it was a real example of what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 6, verse 21, where he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because she put her treasure there, um, and that wasn't particularly the challenge for her, but God then softened her heart and led her heart towards um, towards mission and discipleship as well. Um, yeah, so Andy's actually going to touch a bit more on that passage as well. Thanks so much, Cal. <clears throat> so as we're aware, there's a variety of different models that are used for funding ministry. Um, we see in the New Testament, you know, all sorts of miraculous stuff occurring. We'll see in the Old Testament, um, you know, a faithful widow who had her oil and flour last an entire drought because she fed Elisha or Elijah, one of the two of them. Um, you know, we see Peter quite clearly calling people to financially give. Uh, we see Paul teaching the worker is worth their wages uh, in the ministry. And so, um, yeah, this is, this is the call, I guess, to all of us. And, and I'll explore this a little bit further, but I guess I, I want to I throw to you people another question. Um, and it's a bit, a bit like a situation and and again I'm, i am going to be looking for, for hands to respond 
if, if people have lived in a situation where they have been working on a full-time basis, uh, obviously fully responsible for all the domains of life, debts and expenses and everything else going on, and had absolutely no assurance that they were going to be receiving any income from the work that they were doing at all. I guess it's a little bit like, imagine if, if the job you were in, you know, the business was going into receivership and, um, well, no, was possibly going into receivership. And, you know, the, the owners were like, look, we, we may not have work for you next month. Uh, we may not be able to pay you next month. Sorry, there will be work for you to do, but we may not be able to pay you. But we want you to commit to doing this, you know, for the next four years. Uh, sometimes you might get paid. Sometimes you might not. We can't really promise how much you're going to get paid, but we want you to put your best effort in regardless. Who's, who's had an experience like that? A couple of us, exactly, exactly. When we think about it in a worldly sense, it's not really a type of life which would attract people. It's not really something that we would normally sign up for. Um, it well and truly goes against what the world teaches um, of, you know, what are we doing about increasing financial stability, about investing, about building our capital. Um, at Freeway here, um, sorry, yeah, the interesting part, and, and I'm sure for everyone who just put their hand up, Ben, they could share just as many stories as Kelly and I. The interesting part, with every situation that we experienced, and I'm confident for the missionaries that we're engaged with, um, for Ray and Carmen and Phil, uh, that there would be multiple stories of God meeting their needs in a variety of creative way. The significant part that goes across all of this is the way that that need was met was God's people responding to their obedience to what God had asked them to do. Um, we had experiences where groceries literally just appeared on our front doorstep. Um, you know, there'd just be this sort of doorbell ring and we'd go out and answer it and we're just like... I mean, it's, it's possible they just miraculously materialised. But honestly, I believe someone's probably gone and done a grocery shop and just done an awesome knick-knock, knocking on the door and left us with groceries. The common theme across all of these stories is that it's God's people's faithfulness in their acts of service to God that has met the needs to be able to keep people, ourselves and many others here, engaged in a gospel-based ministry, engaged in a vocation where we are taking the message of Jesus into people groups, whether it be local, whether it be international, and sharing it life on life, sharing this life-saving message that Jesus gives. Um, as we've mentioned, the church has got a commitment of $8,000 a year. Um, I'm going to be straight up honest here and I don't know everyone here incredibly well, um, so apologies if this is a bit offensive, but I feel for a church our size, $8,000 a year is actually really, really, really easy to achieve. Uh, we're aware that the gifts, that the, the um, mission budget is not part of the normal church budget. It's a separate budget that the church has, which only will take money that's specified to mission work. So it's not like the $8,000 is filled out out of the overflow from the church. Uh, so gifts have to be identified you know, as mission gifts. Uh, honestly, if, if most of the people in this church, family groups in this church, committed to $200 a year, we'd, we'd make that $8,000 really easily. Um, if you set up a direct debit of 
uh, week. $10 a week just as an ongoing gift on your bank account. You know, we collectively as a church would make that $8,000 commitment. Um, those of you in the congregation that are astute at maths are going, Andy, that $10 a week is a lot more than $200 a year. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> um, so I want to encourage you guys to consider that. And just as we bring to a close, I guess I want to come to a passage which we're all familiar with. Uh, and it's where, it's where we see Jesus, um, I guess, targeting this idea pretty, pretty straight on, exactly as Kel mentioned before in Matthew 6. So we know that this is part of his Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus is up with a whole bunch of peeps and he's um, given them some very clear instructions about the spiritual kingdom, about what eternity is like, about what his kingdom's like, but also about how to live here on earth. So if I just read from Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I'm confident that this is a fairly familiar passage to most of us here, but Jesus here is drawing a very distinct parallel between where our treasure is and our spiritual state. Um, very much correlating with exactly what um, Mason preached about last week. If our treasure, if our material wealth, if our environment and accumulating uh, following the world's guide is the focus and our intention, we, we're going to end up in a poor spiritual state. Jesus says it in absolute clarity there. Um, when he talks about our eyes being the lamp of the body and full of light, like it's in the context of treasures and then cannot serve God of money. He, he has to, the context of this passage is Jesus is talking about money with us. And so I guess I want to encourage us, if, if we're feeling maybe a distance between God, if we're feeling um, a lack of connection, is it possible that there is something that's replacing God in our heart? Is it possible that we are pursuing a more uh, in line with the world, building our own resources and wealth? Um, there's a whole, whole lot of other reasons, obviously, that could be there, but I just want to throw that to you. And exactly as uh, Kel mentioned, um, this friend of ours, she, uh, she was really challenged about um, what it meant to be part of a discipling ministry, what it meant to have her heart akin to what Jesus actually calls all of us to do. We were fortunate enough to be um, freed up because of the generosity of people to be able to work in a ministry for a number of years. God, through a variety of circumstances, ended up taking us out of that ministry. And, and now Kel and I are in the opportunity to be able to financially partner here and give to the mission work here and financially support a few missionaries ourselves. Um, this friend of ours, uh, Lisa, has well and truly shaped her life because of her engagement and journey with us. 
in a discipling and evangelistic ministry, and she's actively doing that in her own life now. So I want to leave that with you as a challenge. I want to leave you guys with a challenge of what would it mean to respond to this? What would it be like for Phil and Ray and Carmen if we didn't meet our financial obligation? Um, obviously, Phil's um, a gift of $5,000. I'm going to suggest, at best, that's one-twelfth of his income. At worst, it's probably even less. I've got no idea what his budget is. Um, if, if we don't give, it adds stress. It adds tension. It adds pressure. I am totally confident that God does meet the gap. We have shared multiple stories of that. But that then also means we as a church miss out on the growth and development that comes, which was equal to all of those stories. So we'll wind up there. Just very quickly, though, as I finish, for people here who may not have a living, growing relationship with Jesus, I'm now talking to you, so I hope you had a good sleep for the rest of this message because I wasn't talking to you, and I hope you had a really good, relaxing, refreshing time. just want to leave you with this one thought. If you don't have an understanding and don't have a full engagement with this person of Jesus is, I want you to ponder, what is it about that person of Jesus? What is it about the message of the gospel that would inspire people to make the ridiculously silly decision to leave a really secure, stable-type vocational life and go off and live on a faith-based income where there's no security, there's no guarantee, you don't even know if you're going to get paid next week? What is it about that message that Jesus gives that would make people act in such an irresponsible and ridiculous manner? Let me pray. Mighty Saviour, we want to just honour and praise and glorify you. Lord, we thank you so much for inviting us to join you with the work that you are doing. We thank you for how you have called people to serve you vocationally. And Lord, we thank you for how you invite the rest of us to be part of their ministry through faithfully praying for them and faithfully giving to them. Lord, we do lift up to you the ministries that we support as a church. Phil and Ray and Carmen and Kids Hope, Light FM, Operation Christmas Child. Lord, we thank you for the investment that people are doing for your kingdom's growth and your, Jesus, your son's name, Jesus, in impacting the lives of people, in living out the reality of faith in you in front of those people that they're reaching and sharing them, sharing the truth of your gospel into their lives. So, Lord, I just pray that we be encouraged and I pray that we be challenged. I pray that we seek to put our treasure in your hands. And as you have promised, that our hearts will follow and we'll become more and more like you as we walk faithfully in your service day by day. Thank you so much for this time we've had together, Lord, and we just commit the rest of this day into your hands. Amen.